Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Kuden. I'm your host, Eric White, joined by our other host, Jeffrey Miller. It's really his show. I'm just, just here for the theatrics. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I'm pretty sure it's our show, so <laughs> that's right. fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the time we're recording this particular episode, it is Friday the 13th, so if you have triadecophobia, it's uh, probably not a good idea to listen to this podcast. I don't know, does, does superstitious uh, Friday the 13th <laughs> When you thing... listen to it, it will be Friday the 13th that day. Whoa, wow, yeah, we can so, have it be It's Friday like that movie The, the Ring, right? No matter when you watch it, you put the video <laughs> tape in and uh, the girl comes out of your TV. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. It's a total tangent here, but uh, I have the DVD. I got the DVD to that movie long ago when it came out, and they had a really cool feature on that, which was if you watch the movie all the way through and the movie was done playing, it would go back to the, the DVD title screen, and it would yeah. uh, it would play a little sound effect of your phone ringing, which would then freak you all out, right? Because then you've watched it all, and now your phone's ringing. And uh, <laughs> I thought that was a fun little thing that the guys from the DVD shop threw in there. But uh, yeah, anyway, cool. so you had kind of, uh, as we kind of prepared for this episode, you mentioned about how, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, Superstitions, Ninja would use those. and uh, Oh, yeah, to their absolutely. Advantage. I yeah. mean, to understand a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, you have to look back historically uh, you know, because we live in the 21st century, so, um, you know, there's not a lot of people that are jumping on the spiritual wagon, let alone the religion wagon and all that stuff, because, you know, we're we're supposedly smarter. So, um, but, so often people will look at a lot of these these uh, things from the scrolls or from the lessons and, and think, well, how can people be so gullible to fall for this stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, Back in the day, there were all kinds of demons and superstitions, and I mean, you really did have a superstition-based society, where mm-hmm. uh, you know when something bad happened, uh, you had fallen out of graces with the gods, or there were demons. I mean, think about the Tengu, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people know that the ninja supposedly descended from the Tengu, uh, this bird, human, you know, hawk, human kind of thing, but there were a couple of types of Tengu, right? Uh, these tricksters and whatever, and it was just that kind of society. So the ninja would use that. Uh, so this this falls under the uh, one of the one of the eight gates, the uh, ninja no uge, deception and manipulation, right? So um, one of the ways to get what you want, one of the ways to be successful, is to uh, speak the listen of the other person to to play into their beliefs about things, even if you know that that's off, right? Um, you know, we, we kind of live, we live in a culture where 
the fashion is to be your own person and to, you know, fight the establishment and all that, and then people complain because they're not successful, okay? You know, things shouldn't be that way. Uh, you know, there's all this oppression and whatever. Um, and then you look at it from a completely different perspective, okay? So they established the rules, fantastic. So we're going to learn the rules um, even better than they know them, and we're going to use the same kind of, you know, they established the gameplay. And this is something that a teacher taught me a long time ago. You know, um, you could do what people think is being done, which is to cheat the system, but the reality is that if you cheat the system and you get caught, then you get punished, right? The trick, the way the ninja do it, is they learn the game um, better than the people who made it, and then you just learn how to play it better than they do, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this happens the same thing with people's superstitions or beliefs or whatever, right? If playing into those will get you the success you're looking for or help you help them, um, then why not? I mean, I do it in the dojo, right? Um, I let somebody know when they've made even a little bit of success with a technique, and I'll go, okay, good, good, yeah, okay, much better, right? So we'll keep working on that, right? Uh, but that that's good. It's in the right direction, okay? Very often what a student hears is, okay, they got that part right, okay? So uh, why not, right? Um, I'm not lying to them. I'm not telling them that, uh, you know, I'm going to – make them an MMA master or whatever, but sometimes you need to tell a person what they need to hear to keep them around long enough, or to, you need to tell them what they want to hear to keep them around long enough to be able to work in what they need to hear, mm -hmm. right? So uh, often in class we'll work uh, some drills or we'll do some things that um, look like things that the kids see in movies, right? Um that kind of gets it out of their system, you know, like some jumping kicks and all that. And we have jumping kicks, just not the way they're used to seeing it, right? So we'll put those things in place so that they can do them um, because you have to be careful. If people don't see things that they expect to see, then they will come to the conclusion that you're not doing what they want to be doing, hmm. right? So, uh, you know, so you, you play around with those kind of things. But at the same time, um, we also want to make sure that we're not falling for inaccurate beliefs or superstitions, okay? Uh, like, you know, the man is out to get you and, you know, mm. the, the system is oppressive and things like that. Um, and whether it is or isn't, if you believe it to be so, then it becomes true for you and then you will act accordingly, which is usually like a victim, um, instead of, you know, just going about your, your business um, and learning what's really going on. But what people tend to do, people that, that believe in the whole victim mentality, is they they will look for things that reinforce that, right? Mm -hmm. So if they believe that they're about to get them, then they're going to be clicking on things on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever that are stories in that direction, and the problem with that is that Facebook and LinkedIn algorithms are set up to feed you more of the same kind of stories that you've already shown that you have an interest in. So before you know it, your timeline 
is filled with a bunch of crap that reminds you that you're a victim and you can't possibly operate unless the entire system is changed, right? So um, yeah. we don't need to be reinforcing that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's Friday the 13th, so if people want to believe that, you know, uh, the world is out to get them, then um, that's less people in your way at that moment. Or mm. <laughs> it could be people that are that, if you're successful, will – just decide that somehow you've cheated the system or whatever. Okay? I don't mm. cheat the system. Okay? Um, but, yeah. So, you know, you see this. If, if you go to Japan, and sometimes you'll see some of these pictures and how to set these books, like uh, Nijutsu History and Tradition, but uh, there are pictures in the Ninja House Museum. You remember going to that one, right? Yes. Um, from training in the old days, and there's, like, Soke or one of the Shihan wearing a, a Tengu mask blowing flames, right, like this fire-breathing uh, demon and stuff like that. That would have scared the pants off of people today. Now, imagine what what would happen way back in the day when they really did believe that these creatures roamed the, uh, the forest and stuff, um, <laughs> you know. So, uh, anyway, so it's, it's one of those, to me, it's just another day, but... Um, <laughs> You know, you start to see all these pictures and, and, and memes and, and stories. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> are you a Friday the Thirteenth kind of person? No, it's never it's never bothered me. Uh, I always like to pretend it's maybe more of a lucky day. So, well, all you have to do is all you have to do is one cross cultural shift, and a yeah. lot of these things start to lose their sting, right? Because thirteen is the number here, but in Japan it's four. Right, yeah, so yeah. And the, they uh, say yawn instead so, of she, right? Most of the time, they don't she, want to yeah, use she, the word, right? She, right? She is four, but with a different kanji, she is death. So you never, you never congratulate anybody on uh, their fourth birthday for becoming yeah. four because you have to say she, right? They yeah. have, they have little things, and you get a gift, and people say congratulations, but they never say it's fantastic that you are she, right? Because <laughs> that's dead, right? There's, there's uh, no, uh, there's no she don. The Shidon are all dead. Right, Yondon, right? <laughs> Yondon. Yeah. I guess you could be a Shidon if you screwed things up. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't buy you can't buy uh, dinnerware or anything in Japan in sets of four. And here it's just predominant, right? You buy things mm-hmm, in sets of mm-hmm. four, sets of eight, whatever, right? Um, so you'll get sake sets where you have uh, – uh, Two cups and a and a flask or whatever, or uh, yeah. you get four cups and the flask, but you can't just buy the four cups individually. Or you can buy the four cups individually, but not as a set of four, yeah. right? Um, here, everything is is bought in, in sets of four. So yeah, it's very different, right? So and as soon as you run into something like that, like you know, how could thirteen be an unlucky number here? But perfectly fine everywhere else. But four is unlucky there. But perfectly fine here. So, uh, you know, these things were supposed to have been developed out of, uh, you know, a universal human fear. And then you find out that the symbols are different in different places. So mm-hmm. I think that people make their own luck. That's what I think. So, <laughs> and you'll have to prove me wrong. I mean, yeah. one person's luck is another person's karma. And some people would translate mm, karma as well, sure. but uh, yeah, no. To, in, in the ninja's realm and from the perspective of Mikyo, luck is simply a whole bunch of karma 
karmic actions coming together that you didn't know about, and yeah. when they come to fruition or when they produce this effect, it was unexpected, right? So people say lucky and all that, but if you look at it, even the lottery, right, the numbers are pulled up, whether by computer or by these ping-pong balls that are bouncing around in an air chamber, um, they, you know, one just happened to be where the suction was and nothing else was in its way, and it came up. So, you know, it just, it, it's still actions, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that ball's never mm -hmm. going to get anywhere near that nozzle if they don't turn the freaking machine on. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, there's all these actions that go into, into things, right? So luck is just defined as karma uh, interacting, all these things of karma interacting and um, coming into fruition in a certain time and place, but we didn't, we didn't expect it. It didn't, you know, or we see it as magical um, yeah. when really there's a lot of things that have to come into play, which is why I don't play the lottery, right? There's just too many random things. I could be spending my time, effort, and money generating the kind of karma that I want to come into fruition. It may take longer or the windfall may not be astronomical, which is how they get you to play it, right? They oh, yeah. get you to play it. Because if, if you had to kick out $50 or $500 per ticket to win $60 million, way fewer people would play, right? But the yeah. trade-off is I'm only losing a dollar or $5, but the windfall is $63 million. Yeah, and how many $1 and $5 bills did you surrender to maybe get a $20 ticket or to, you know, whatever, right? So mm. um, the, the risk isn't as great, um, but always, you know, the way it works is same thing with karma, right? The greater the charge, the greater the payoff at the end positive and negative. Anyway, hmm. so yeah, I thought it'd be fun to talk about superstition for just a little bit because people have weird superstitions. Weird superstitions, right? Yeah. But it's, things are what they are because they decided that it would be that thing. Whether it's a lucky rabbit foot or, you know, um, uh, their uncle thinks they're his favorite. That's a superstition. It's a, it's a unfounded myth. Right? Even if the uncle said, you're my favorite, has your uncle ever acted out of accordance with that? Yeah, probably. Probably pissed you off that day, too, because you're his favorite. So he's supposed to always say yes, and he's, a, you know, whatever. So mm -hmm. um, just because somebody says something doesn't mean you need to take it as a, as a universal given. If you do, yeah. then it's the, it holds the same weight as a superstition. You believe something that's not objectively... Uh, you know, provable. It's not, you know, and if you really believe it to a certain extent, then you run the risk of being an accomplice to your own anger, dismay, heartbreak, ass kicking, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, anyway, superstitions come in all, all shapes and sizes. It's not just the boogeyman. So, and kind of along in sort of this same vein or thread, um, you know, you, you had mentioned to me that fall camp is, is coming up, the, the date set, and uh, oh, yeah. now you have kind of the theme of, of this camp called the, uh, the Magic uh, of Ninjutsu. I did. The Magic of Ninjutsu. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because I'm, one of my hobbies is, is magic, and I was having a discussion with, um, I, don't, I don't know how this came about. I, I had a discussion with one student, 
and then I had another one with another one, and the topics that kept coming up were relatable back to the fact that, like, magic and illusion is founded on some very, very critical psychological truths uh, about the way the human mind works, okay, and how it can be led around and perceptual gaps and, and things like that, right? So we, we think about misdirection, how the ninja is misdirecting us to get us to look at one thing when really something else is happening. But the reality is that there's a lot of deep psychology in that. It's, it's not easy to manipulate somebody to do something that we're not prone to doing. And the, the reality is that the way the human mind is wired, um, from the very fact that we, we live a quarter of a second in the past, right, from the time something touches our, our sense receptors to the time it gets processed and we recognize it, we cognize it, um, almost a quarter of a second has passed, right? So uh, understanding that that perceptual gap is going on and all that, that's part and parcel to why misdirection works and all that. So uh, I had this one conversation. Uh, we were talking about um, uh, per uh, perceptual, no, what was it? It was a, it was a cognizance thing. Uh, having this conversation, and I said, you know, that would make a really good theme or a really good topic for camp. And then it just kind of hit me as I started to think about, I thought about it for about a day, day and a half, um, as to how that works and, and um, how all this is going on. And then, like, it hit me that, duh, I started studying a lot of this stuff way back in the early 80s because Hatsumi Sensei uh, was discussing how these things go on, and he said, you really need to study magic. Um hmm. Everything from misdirection to all, and the psychology that allows the magician to do what he or she does, right? And, you know, of course, it was a suggestion, but you know what that means when I'm making air quotes, right? Uh, yeah. Because the Japanese will always suggest that you do something or not do something, but that's Japanese code for uh, do this. Right? Yeah. So um, I went and looked, at, you know, and started studying these things. And so what we're going to do at camp this time around is we're going to look at our techniques and we're going to understand and we're going to, we're going to look at how all the lessons you have learned, right, from timing to angling to all that, take advantage of certain psychological uh, wiring kind of things and how they really are not just misdirection but how they play into and, and use these perceptual gaps and uh and and mental things right it's that, that we're really using this guy's processing against itself so um where you will literally for you know a split second disappear and reappear somewhere else you will he will not be able to see the technique when it's occurring right the technique in and of itself when it's occurring is invisible okay so when we talk about the art of invisibility, right, you know, most people think of, well, you're not disappearing. Yeah, in that flash of an instant, in that two hundredth of a second, uh, yeah, you are, okay? Um, the, if he can see your head move from the start position to the, to the new position, um, or he can see all of it, right, and not be missing two-thirds of it or more, then you did it either – at the wrong time or at the wrong angle or whatever. So 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun with this, where we're gonna be playing around with uh, this concept of uh, invisibility and um, how the bigger movement disguises the smaller movement and what that means, uh, all kinds of things. It, it's I, I'm excited about this one, but we'll see how many people actually like you know show up. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's kind of like how the the, uh, the 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 kata right uh, in the gyoko yu is a uh, physical combat form of the Mikyo teachings, right? Uh, we're going to be looking at how the ninja's Ninpo Taijutsu and the way it's done is actually the same thing. I think that they uh, did something, uh, wrote about this uh, a little bit in the the one book, um, oh, what's it called? Um, big white book with the shoji screen on the front. Uh, mm. Essence of Mizutu? Yes. Essence mm. of Mizutu. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter on uh, uh, Genjutsu, Ninjutsu, and something else, but it was about um, the, the, uh, the, the trickery and how they're the same and different between that which is used by the con man, the illusionist, and... I don't know, maybe like the spiritualist or something like that, right? Mm. Uh, but uh, there's a whole chapter on that and how he kind of splits it apart and how, you know, there's, there are these tricks, right? Yeah. Uh, and how um, there's things in Nijutsu that looks like it's from, you know, the, the, or draw similarities to the illusionist and stuff like that. And you can certainly do that, but then there's this whole other realm that um, – that looks like magic, but it's not. It's not using the same kind of um, yeah. underhanded lying, so to speak, right? Because a big part of magic and the 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 things used by a con artist has to do with uh, like flat out lying and and that kind of deception. But what the ninja is using is your own wiring, right? Yeah. Uh, like when we talk about the five needs and the five uh, weaknesses, right? Those are those are predetermined by the person. We're not using anything that that person doesn't show up with. So you can't make somebody uh, power hungry who's not greedy, right? They're not power hungry, right? You can't yeah. bait somebody with um, a, a reward of money that's not focused around that kind of wealth, right? Uh, you know, you can't make somebody feel guilty about or you can't blackmail them for you know lying to their spouse when you know they have an open relationship and and everything's you know everything's uh on the table kind of you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. right so somebody that's not vain you can't uh you know sell them beauty cream and stuff like that because uh they're constantly trying to fight the aging process or they don't think that they're ugly and they're trying to improve things or whatever. You can't sell people something that they don't feel that they need to fix. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's a good chapter to start with. And then, uh, where are the five needs and five, the five needs and five weaknesses are in, uh, the book that Stephen Hayes wrote when he was still in Japan training and learning all of that, like psychology stuff and everything, uh, you know, all the stuff that was nobody believes the training was different way back in the day, right? They like to knock that kind of training, 
you know, the good old boy training and stuff when we mm. were getting way more in the way of psychology and um, less in the way of uh, specific kata, right? Mm. Um, but anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, that's in there. So this stuff is spread out in different areas. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, camp we're going we're gonna to focus on these these things and how when you get your taijutsu right, you could have sloppy taijutsu, but the timing, distancing, angling, those kind of things literally, like, disguise everything. Hmm. Really cool, okay? Yeah. Disappear into the, um, into the haze of the fog of the fight. We even have kata named for things like this, like kasumidori, right? Kasumidori mm-hmm. from the Tagagi Ocean View means catching or seizing the haze, right, or seizing the fog, right? Um, and it, there's this whole idea of what you're doing creates a perceptual uh, gap. It's almost like a magic trick, right, to where you get him to go in one – it's misdirection. You get him to go in one direction, and then – but what's actually happening is you get him to, to um, avoid what he thinks is going on so he can run right into the strike you're actually doing. It's a really cool thing. And if you can learn from that model and not be trapped in only doing this one way, you can do that in so many different ways where you set something up where he thinks that one thing is happening. You create a reality for him. Um, Well, you create the cues for him that he will finish the sentence for, and he'll create a reality, also known as an assumption, that he will chase, and in the process of chasing that, he actually walks into what's going on. So we're going to do this with our throws. I'm going to show people how to how to do a ganseki, uh, where the guy's going to defend one side of his body and actually open up the side that you're moving into anyway, and you're going to do it to where you're actually moving in to do the throw, but he thinks you're actually somewhere else, and he's going to save that other thing. And in the process of saving that, he actually opens him up, opens himself up, and gives you everything you need for the Gante. So you don't have hmm. to do things like a beginner. Yeah. yeah. Huh. We're going to look at uh, turning um, uh, turning what looks like one thing that he needs to block or avoid uh, into something else completely different. But there's no way for him to protect himself against it because – um, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on, right? Um, you're going to go after targets that aren't even in place yet, um, because when you do what you're doing the way you're doing it, um, to defend against what he thinks is going on, he's actually going to put the target in place so that he runs into your fist. How's that? <laughs> That's, That's vaguely specific, isn't it? Yeah, so um, so this requires visuals, which we don't have here. But we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna take a look at, and I know how the the, the term the magic of ninjutsu either sounds like I'm being really melodramatic, right, and talking about how magical ninjutsu is, um, or it's just this hokey cheesy uh, kind of title that you know that mm. uh, you know I don't know trying to convince people to come or whatever. But, no, we're going to talk about the parallels that actually Hatsumi Sensei pointed to a long, long time ago, and I went down that rabbit hole. And we're going to look at the parallels between 
uh, using the psychology that magic is is dependent upon and how that same psychology is wired into the correct tactical and strategic application of your of your techniques in in the art and if you understand that it will take your training to a whole new level and it will also show you why um, not that form isn't important but why uh, a technique can be wrong or why it's not working or why you get resistance or your partner you know can evade or whatever um, it'll, it'll make so much more sense maybe <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. You don't get your head wrapped around, but I can't help you. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Well, that'll be a great uh, a great camp, certainly, to attend. So, how do uh, how does anybody uh, listening to this who wants to get signed up, uh, if they're not, say, local right there where they can sign oh, up at well, the see, uh, there's, dojo? There's the crux, right? Because I just came up with this, like, two days ago, and so I'm working on the um, – on the registration page, and uh, once that's done, then I can do the Facebook page. Uh, but I wanted to get this information out to my um, my online guys, my inner circle guys, as quickly as possible because they have uh, they get first option and they get a huge discount uh, for coming to camp, right? Um, even more than the normal early bird special that I give to people that that register early. So. Uh, People have a choice at the moment. They can either wait until uh, Monday or Tuesday of next week when I have everything in place and the early bird special listed, which at the moment is going to be like 175, uh, which is like what is it, 75 bucks off? Uh, what camp's going to cost this year around? Hmm. Uh, so they can do that, or they can look at the uh, the webinar or the uh, not the webinar page, the, the podcast page on the on the um, ah. on the the Kuden page. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I don't think, did I, did, I, or, did I post it to the Kudan page? I guess I did. So the Kudan page, it's on the online Ninjutsu training uh, page on Facebook, and it's also on the teleseminar uh, service that we use. There's a button. If you're on the webcast side, if you look um, where the buttons are, there's a button that says register for fall camp. And if you mm-hmm. click on that, what I did was I have it directly wired into um, the PayPal thing right now, uh, so it goes directly to just being able to register. There's no information page at the moment, but if you do that this week, you can get in for the same price that my inner circle people do uh, for 150 bucks. So you save 100 bucks. Okay. Wow, that's uh, good. Yeah, so uh, you can do that, or you can wait. And if you wait, then you know the early bird special is the lowest. It's going to be 175. Full rate closer to camp time is 250. So I'll do a stepping tier kind of thing. The longer it takes you to register, the more you pay for camp. So, uh, so you can just click on that and register now, and then we'll send information out to you. Uh, so you can be here. It's going to be at the main academy again in um, here in Pennsylvania. So uh, you know we'll send out information about hotels and all that wonderful stuff so that you can set yourself up uh, and you can be in. And um, what else is going on? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, we're a little bit closer to getting the one in Indiana set up here, but that won't be. Um, uh, well, that's a, that'll be in the fall as well, but it'll be a completely different topic. The other thing I'm doing with this camp, uh, just historically, uh, traditionally, I guess if we want to use that word, 
we've had an early session on Friday evening from 8 to 10 for people that can get in early, right? Uh, the bulk of camp happens Saturday and Sunday. But we have an, uh, an early thing. But what I decided to do this year around is to make the Friday session a closed-door session with a completely different topic um, for people that are interested. So this time I'm actually catering this to uh, instructors, group leaders, dojo heads, uh, and people that want to be. And we're going to take a look at how I've been able to uh, maintain a, a school where I, I pay rent and all that kind of stuff, uh, even through an accident and all that stuff, for years uh, by running things in a way that produces value without watering down the art or, you know, uh, whatever, and maintaining a, a good program and um, uh, having people very, very satisfied to where my group has more than two to five people in it at any given time, right? Uh, you know, where people can literally have dozens of, of active students. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at a couple of topics. Uh, once people start signing up for that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, ask what's most important out of a series of, uh, or out of a list of topics, and that's what I'll cover. Hmm. Um, so there's that. And the other thing that I'm offering, which I have not promoted up to this point, but it will be on the registration page, is I have a special uh, offer for instructors and group leaders that if they have um, uh, three paying students coming along, they can come as my guests. They can come for free. Nice. Yeah. So um, it's motivation you know, to get 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 people together and go as a group. Well, yeah. When I used to have a bunch of people coming down from upstate New York and Toronto and all that uh, before my accident, uh, that's the way it worked for them as well. The the uh, dojo leaders and the group leaders uh, would bring uh, handfuls of students down, and so they got a discount for a group, right? So there's a group discount for everybody that does come. And then uh, the instructor, uh, because they brought three or more people, they got to come for, for free, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they come in. Uh, I give them uh, a, 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 an opportunity to teach a breakout session, right, anything they want to teach to kind of highlight what they're doing and, and to uh, bring in other perspectives as well. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's there as well. But the, the the crux of that is the person actually has to have an active training group, um, uh, you know, and they they have their students to bring, right? You can't just call yeah. up and go, I'm an instructor, but I'm between students right now. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so two two big changes this time around. One is kind of the the promotional thing for instructors because I'm doing that closed door thing. Um, I'm thinking that might make people uh, a little more uh, – give them a, a extra value for coming in as an instructor. And mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, is making that, that closed-door thing for people who want to do that because I've, I have people here at the dojo also that are chomping at the bit to do instructor training. So it gives me an opportunity to kind of toss some extra things in there. Yeah. So, yeah. So the magic of Ninjutsu. <laughs> That'll be a great watch one. This, watch this handkerchief and see if it disappears. <laughs> Meanwhile, you punch them through. The Never mind the fist. 
Never that's mind right. fist flying at your face. Which think of the Wizard yeah. of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right, right. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, uh, the, the first videos that I think that they released uh, to the Western world uh, way back in the day, uh, one of them wrapped around Togakure um, uh, principles and kata and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, there was a lot of use with Mitsubishi. There were techniques that were done. Uh, there was a Kunuichi technique that was done. Uh, I think Mariko, um Sensei's wife, uh, did this where the guy's coming into attack and she opens a parasol, right, opens an umbrella to kind of catch this guy off guard right in the middle of the grab. And it kind of – so he's ended up, like, wrapped around this bubble, and she punches him right through the uh, – right through the umbrella. And I thought, oh, I'm loving this martial art, right? <laughs> so uh, that's another one of these things, right, where you – here's this blinder, and then you do the technique from behind this from behind this screen, right? I mean, these are all things from magic. There's, there, there's a guarantee in magic and illusion that if the magician puts a, a, a screen or something in front of things, something underhanded is going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so why would you not use that? Why not, you know – use the screen. We've done that in class where you get out of the way and you put your hand over the guy's eyes and then mm. punch the back of your own hand, right? Mm-hmm. Do a little hammer fist in the back of your own hand. He's never going to see it happen. Or you put it over his eyes and then punch him, right? So you create this moment of temporary blindness. So that's, you know, the hint is the, one of the things we're going to be doing but because we're going to be borrowing these ideas from um, from magic. But if you look at the things that Asmi Sensei's put out already, if you look at what's in the scrolls and all, we're not, I'm not, I'm not taking things from magic and putting them over a martial art and then saying, oh, by the way, this is needed to. No, I'm yeah. using this as a, as a focal point that people will be able to go back and then look at, you know, magician videos and go, hmm, how mm-hmm. does that show up in the you know, kind of thing, right? And yeah. I think I'm giving enough away now that, if they wanted to, you know, not come to camp and figure it out on their own, feel free. Take the weeks, months, and years to do that, or you can come to camp, spend 12 to 18 hours, and I'll hand it to you, and then you can go back and make much more sense much more quickly out of the things. But, hey, you know, whatever works for you. Are you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay, you're there. All right. Yeah. I didn't know if you meant it works for me or the you meaning everyone else. No. <laughs> works for me. No, it works, it works for me. For me. <laughs> Whatever works for you. So we yeah. have a, a, a couple of good questions here uh, we can try to address. Um, oh, yeah. One particularly you mentioned kind of comes up in the dojo often. Uh, that's, that, is, it, is it Jime or is it Shime? Uh, and oh. <laughs> you said yeah. people even get into arguments really about this. That's one or the other. Is it Hanbo or is it Hambo? Is it <laughs> Ninjutsu or is it Ninjitsu? Right? Um, right? You know, because this guy wrote it this way and I – and then the, what I normally get from people uh, who really aren't asking to get the right answer, they're asking to get their, their way validated. Um, what I get from them is, well, I prefer to say it this way, so uh, that's, I'll just do that. Okay, uh, fine. You do what you want. Okay, but it's written a certain way. But linguistically, just like we spell things a certain way, but you know, people say it differently, right? Yeah. Uh, is it potato or potato? Right? Is it? Um, we have a town nearby here uh, that's spelled K R E A M E R. 
Okay, in my world that spells creamer, but the name of the town is Kramer. Okay, so it is what it is, right? So, so if I, we write out the word, go ahead. Sorry. I, well, before you got too far, I, I wanted to see if my recollection of this was was right or if I'm off. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. I under I part. understood it to be two uh, two different words. Uh, but one meaning something a little bit different than the other. I understand from what I recall, I thought "gme" had to do with choking uh, or constricting, and "shime" was when was uh, specifically like a blood choke. And I may have that totally recalled wrong, but that that was that was what I thought of when you put that out there. If I it's like, do I remember this correctly, uh, or or is it just two different ways to say the same thing? Well, which one do you think it is? I I, I thought shime was when it was a blood choke, like uh, constricting around the neck to cut off blood flow to to the head, and jime was more of a just choking or constricting, like a uh, like a body choke where we're squeezing like the legs around the trunk or or you know okay. yeah. Right. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good. <laughs> no. Uh, it's the same word. It's a linguistic change. Okay? Uh-huh. It's either softer or harder based on what comes before it. So uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. just like um, anything, any syllable that ends with the N sound, which is the only consonant that can end anything in Japanese, by the way, right? So Han, right? So a half staff, Han means half, right? So a Hanbo is a half staff, Okay. We can say hanbo because of the way we speak. It's easy for us. But the huh. Japanese, even though they're saying a half staff, the Japanese say hanbo. So if we were going to spell that, we would spell it H-A-M as in Mike as opposed to H-A-N as in Nora. Hmm. Hanbo. So that's where you'll hear people saying hambo because they're hmm. pronouncing ham, right? Hmm. Um but then people want to know what the difference is. Well, the difference is it's a linguistic uh, adjustment because the Japanese speak from the back of their mouth, not from their, the front of their mouth and their lips like we do. So if you watch a Japanese person speak, their lips don't move nearly as much as ours do. Okay? Right. So um, when, the, when a syllable ending in N is followed by a syllable that has a hard consonant start, a B, a P, or whatever that causes the lips to close to make the sound, the N turns into an M sound. Hmm. They don't change the spelling because they don't spell the way we do, right? It's just a pronunciation thing, okay? Just like we don't say level, pause, land, we say level land, and you hold the L sound twice as long, okay? It's a linguistic adaptation. When you write out the words level land, you don't remove the space between the two words, and we don't create another word and only use one L. We don't say level land, right? Mm -hmm. We have the same Mm -hmm. kind of linguistic adjustments, right? So just like some people, like my wife, she doesn't say in there. She says in there because of where she came from, okay? Mm. So I say in there because that's the words, right? 
and that's how I pronounce it. But she says in there. And if she has to say in there, there's a pause. It's a very short one, but she has to think about how to overcome the habitual wiring and the way the muscles work when she's speaking. Okay? So it's, it's, we, we have the same things. So for those people who are, who are thinking, well, that's just weird. No, <laughs> it's just, it's the same thing, but it just shows up differently. Okay? So uh-huh. Jimin and Shimin are the same thing, right? Uh-huh. To say, Gyakushime, you have to use the front of your mouth for that. Okay? Mm. So, Gyakujime, the J sound works better. Honjime, your mouth is already in a place mm. for the J sound. Honjime, Gyakujime, Sangakujime. Right? But if mm. we identify the classification of, of, uh, skill, right, the choking skills, we say shime waza. Okay? Shime waza. But it's the same word. Okay? Jime or shime means to ring or constrict. Anything. Hmm. It can be implied to mean choke if that's what's being rung or constricted, but you can choke anything on the body. An arm, a leg, the torso, the face, whatever. We, we imply or infer the cutting off of air or blood when we say choking. Or if somebody's choking, they can't breathe, right? So that's right. where the confusion comes in because it's how we translate the idea of choking. But the word jime or shime is not limited to choking. It can mean choke, but it can also mean to ring or constrict that kind of thing, right? So a jime or shime, within the context of at least our martial art, is anything that's being wrung or constricted or choked, right? It's not necessarily the cutting off of, of airflow. So that I can see where the, where the confusion would have come in uh, based on your understanding of things. But jime, mm. shime, it's the same word, okay? Um, nijitsu, right, people think they hear ninjitsu, but the word jitsu means a trick, okay, uh, and can imply like an illusion or something that's not true, like a con kind of thing. Yeah. Jutsu is a path um, or like a, uh, a field of study, that kind of thing, right? So we practice and study ninjutsu. It's a path, Okay. So uh, there's jujutsu in Japan, which is what our uh, jutai jutsu morphed into over time. But there's also jujitsu, okay? And if you look at anything that came out of uh, Japan uh, into the West in like the 50s and 60s, there was a guy named Bruce Tenure who did a lot of uh, self-defense things based on jujitsu. And he translates the jitsu in that as trick. And he'll even say, and, and a lot of the, the Western guys in those early days that brought the, this martial art over, right, um, all the techniques were not called techniques. They were called tricks okay? huh. because you're, you're, you know, tricking the guy. You're using fight techniques that he's never seen before, right. okay? So you're doing things differently. Then it was seen as a trickery kind of thing. So you want to be careful, right? Ninjitsu implies trickery of some sort 
but that's incongruent with the word nin, which is an enduring person. So now we're talking about somebody who endures and survives through being a con artist, as opposed to nijutsu, somebody who has the skills and uh, knowledge and ability and follows a path of study that leads to the ability to survive and endure. So that's different, right? Yeah. And the kanji that's used to write it is for jutsu, right, not jitsu. So you can pronounce it any way you want, but you'd be wrong, okay? So <laughs> jutsu. The reason why it sounds like jitsu is because very often yus near or at the end of Japanese words are clipped, mm. Okay. So oh, that's like why des, right? The word yeah. is desu, but it's clipped. We can say des, but if you listen to a Japanese speaker, they're saying des. The U is there, but it's clipped. It's not erased like we say des, because we mm. can just drop it, right? right? But in Japanese linguistics, all words except those ending with an N sound end with a vowel. So the U is clipped. Okay, so in this case, um, nijutsu, right? Both of them can be clipped, right? So nijutsu, the um, the the u, the first u in jutsu, jutsu is clipped, right? Or um, jutsu, right? It's clipped mm -hmm. and it can sound like an i sound. So if you were to ask a Japanese speaker if they're saying jutsu or jitsu, they, they it'll sound like they're saying jitsu. But if you point at the kanji and say which one? They'll point at the jutsu, unless they mean jutsu. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a linguistic thing. So this can often throw people off because we don't recognize when we're doing it with our language, but it becomes pronounced in, in other ones, huh. pun intended, becomes pronounced. So, or in this case, not right? So, yeah, so there's, there's often um, these things, but what, what, Westerners want to do often is they'll want to gravitate to one translation or another of these words. And mm -hmm. again, if you get the wrong translation, it, it can be a good exercise in adaptive thinking and thinking from a different perspective. And Hatsumi Sensei does that all the time. If you ever read any of his books, oh my God, they'll talk about one thing and show you the kanji and go, but you can also say it like this. And it's the same word, but completely different kanji, but now it has this meaning. Right? He's getting you to be more elastic in your thinking, right? Um, yeah. So you can do it, but if you're looking at the base fundamental meaning that's being passed along and the thing that you should be basing your training on, uh, you need to get the word right. Like choke. Gime or shime is to ring or constrict and can infer or imply choking. But it's not the same definition that we in the West mean when we say choking. Because hmm. mm -hmm. our mind goes straight to, to cut off the airway, right? So right. that's a very limited meaning, right? So if we mean choke, we say choke. If we mean to ring, we say ring, like wringing out a towel or something like that. If we mean to constrict, you know, we think of, of uh, a boa constrictor, you know, wrapping around something or, mm -hmm. you know, pin somebody in place or something like that. Uh, yeah. These words are, are more their ideas. Um, so anyway, all right. Hopefully that answers that. That was for Chris, I think, right? Yeah. And then 
Josh had one. We need to yeah. really zip he, he said something through the uh, Kuden, Kuden page, and he asked, uh, I'll, I'll kind of summarize it. Um, he was talking about doing Sanshin, and he noted how sometimes, uh, I guess in class or practicing, that uh, he would use the um, Kuji for um, Earth when doing the Chinawaza of Sanshin. So, you know, he was asking, you know, is there any time you use others and just looking to dive in deeper to uh yeah or is that going too deep right so uh no. each of the fingers yeah th and this goes this would require a whole freaking course so he's talking about the power ring the earth power ring um chi no ding which means earth ring right chi no ding uh which is your introduction to kuji uh, and the elements and use of the fingers and hands and uh balancing electromagnetic power fields, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so um, the uh, the fingers, the, 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 the ring is made this way, not, I mean, you, and I've made reference to these things and using it uh, to kind of get into the mode and all that, right? Um, but the, the hand still starts as a boshiken, and then it's when it's pulled back and wound up that we go to this earth power ring thing uh, to do the uh, the chino kata, right? Uh, because this is called uh, sanshin shikan ken. Okay, so it's not chino rin in that case. It's like if we practice it that way, we can kind of get the feeling of things, right? Um, but we're actually striking with this. In the other sanshin kata, you're striking with an, a palm up or palm down knife hand. Uh, you could do it with um, funodin because instead of touching the little finger, which is the earth finger with the thumb tip, you'd be touching the index finger, which is the wind tip, but then you'd be swinging around kind of in a, in a lateral strike and striking mm -hmm. with the other three fingers because you're still doing shitan ken. Shitan ken, mm -hmm. finger spear, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, where two or three, it's, uh, three or four fingers reinforced against each other. So sometimes it's the thumb and several fingers. Sometimes it's, you know, just the fingertips themselves. Uh, in this case, it's, you know, this way. But what's being simulated, and here's one of those secrets, what's being simulated by the this supposed chinorin, right, the fingers being wrapped this way, is you're grabbing the hilt of your sword and pulling. So... You're, you got just a thumb and a finger wrapped around the sword hilt, and you're drawing this thing, and then you're coming in to stab. Okay, so mm -hmm. because in the in the Togakure school, right, uh, the Taijutsu is based on well, it's based on Gyoko and Koto Taijutsu, but um, uh, the sword stuff is based on spear, right? So the whole idea when you're drawing a sword is you don't have to grab it in an official way. The whole idea is you grab it in whatever way you can to get it out as quickly as possible, even if that is with one finger in your thumb. Ooh. Hmm. How about that? <laughs> That's different. Mmm. Then I can hear some people. You know, we get these people that, like, um, unsubscribe and stuff, and that's cool, right? Because they'll hear something like this, and they'll be like, where the hell did you hear that? Uh, believe it or not, training used to be different way back in the way early 80s. 
um, and things were covered. Uh, and Shihan now are talking about things and they're, and they're teaching things, and they'll make reference to, we used to do this way back in the day, and Hatsumi Sensei doesn't teach this anymore. Does that mean it's not important? No. He doesn't teach a lot of things anymore because he taught it way back in the day, so the teachers learned it, and it's the teacher's responsibility to pass it on. But the problem is that a lot of people today that are training are two, three, five generations down from teachers who aren't teaching it anymore or they're not, they weren't taught or whatever because people are coming back from Japan and teaching what was taught in Hombu, which is for the 10th to 15th dons, and they're not teaching the base stuff the way it was taught by Hatsumi Sensei way back in the day when he was teaching the first round of instructors. Hmm. He doesn't teach it because there's too much to freaking teach. Why would, he, why would he be teaching basics when he's, he's there to be, one, a role model to everybody, and two, to teach the most senior people whose responsibility it is to make sure that everybody else has the basics? Right? So, yeah, nobody ever taught me this. Not my fault. Okay? But that doesn't mean you dismiss it as soon as somebody does teach it. Well, that wasn't the way I was taught, so I'm not going to do it that way. Fine. Mm. Right? One teacher was, was really fond of saying, um, you're a grown-up, right? As a grown-up, you can do whatever you want. Okay? People in the know, masters, whatever, would highly suggest you didn't do a lot of it because it's stupid and, you, and you'll get killed. But you're a grown-up and you can do whatever you want. So there it is. How about it? <laughs> But anyway, hopefully that was a simple and quick enough question uh, for, for um, Josh. I mean, if you, if you try to use the, the power rings, you're going to have to, and it's a good finger manipulation kind of thing, but you're not really doing the same thing. You're not doing the shitan, Ken. Um, you'd be coming around to do a knife hand. And I guess you could do a knife hand with your, with your fingers in that position, but you'd have to be really, really good at the targeting and the, the position of the hand. Uh, and all that. So um, maybe, I guess. I, I haven't done it that way. Uh, I've used the power rings with earth and wind because the hand naturally forms this Sanshin Shitan, or Sanshin Shitan Ken. Um, you're just using different fingers, right? Index, middle, and ring for the earth one, and pinky, ring, and middle for the wind one. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's using the power rings to adjust and and uh, switch through emotional modes and stuff like that is a different use of that mudra than it's being used in um, in the uh, uh, sanchin. But if you want to use the, the power rings that way, then I would suggest that you just do the earth model, just do chinokata as the form, but then use the power rings and adjust your emotional uh, state, and that will affect the timing and the way you're moving to do the kata, to do the model. So now you can do chinokata uh, from an earth base. You can do it from a water that ocean wave pull back crash forward so slow back crash in you can do it from a fire quick out quick back in kind of thing and you can do it from a wind very uh loose timing you know kind of enveloping kind of thing 
uh, you could do it that way. And now it's you're just doing Shitan Ken as your strikes, right? But you're doing um, you're doing it from that emotional thing, not from the uh, you're doing it from an from an energy channeling kind of thing, not from a combat perspective. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, I don't know if it makes sense for for, for Josh, and he can let us know later. But um, I think he's actually out of town, so he won't <laughs> be able to tell him. So, yeah, I, you know what? I think we got through all the topics we were looking for. We did. We did. I, and I have one uh, I'd like to get to, but we can we can certainly save that till uh, next next episode, which has to do with some footwork. I'd love to hear um, you talk a little bit about that. So, uh, okay. very, very good. good. I mean, right now, we're, we're both under kind of time constraints, so we're going to need to wrap this up now. But, yeah, remind, uh, remember that one. We can definitely do that one for the next one. That'll be cool. Uh-huh. All right, and uh, yeah, we'd like to see some comments showing up on the on the Kuden Facebook page, right? I mean, are these things valuable? Uh, what kind of topics would you like to uh, hear us discuss? Uh, what kind of bullshit do you think I'm shoveling? You know, whatever, right? If you get some value out of one of these topics, uh, you know, if you like more on something, less on others, whatever, um, you know, let us know that we're actually talking to somebody other than ourselves. Uh, Steve Davis, Josh Bloom, uh, Tim, who's always uh, listening in on the call, uh, you know, Lee. Just, we'd like to know that we have more than, like, I don't know, five or six people that are, <laughs> that are actually engaged. <laughs> and if you're, if you're not already uh, connected through the, um, the Kuden Facebook page, then uh, just do a search on Kuden Podcast, and we're the only ones going to pop up. There are some other Kuden, but they're for something completely different. So, uh, in podcast, right? Like the page, get connected, uh, click through, get go to the library of, uh, of other episodes. Uh, where where are we now? Where can you find us? We're all, we're, uh, we're all well, iTunes. I mean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Yeah, I mean, we're all on kind of the major uh, tune in, I believe, as well. Um, all right, certainly, right. that uh, moderninjawarrior.com slash kudin dash podcast. Dash episodes will get you to uh, the site where all of them are, are at now. So this is, I think, 64 right. that we're on today. To sign up for the to, uh, for the subscriber thing to get on the list because those folks uh, uh, get reminders about the upcoming lessons. And last week I sent out uh, something extra uh, that had come up during the call. What did I send out? I sent out a worksheet or something like that. Hmm. Uh, but I only sent it to the people who were subscribers on the list. I didn't just send it out blindly. So if you want to get stuff like that, then you need to be on the list. If not, then, you know, get it when you Too get Too bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad for you. All right. So, yeah. So anyway, and hopefully, hopefully I'm being intriguing enough about fall camp that uh, people want to come in and um, things should be cool enough but not cold, that we can do some of this training outdoors as well because I'd love to show how this stuff shows up uh, with sword and staff and things that just look like they're too big to hide. So yeah. I think that's ah. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Uh, it get, sounds... Get some more stealth movement going on because we didn't do any stealth the last, uh, last two mm. camps, I think. So this time oh. we can uh, look at, uh, yeah, how... Uh, you can look like a fence post or something completely different um, in the dark, and it has nothing to do with um, 
what most people think it has to do with, it has to do with how the human brain perceives the human form from a distance or in low light or whatever. And when you know that, God, you can change everything. Huh. Yeah. See, Very magicians cool. trick people because of the way we process information, not because the magician is slick. Now, some of it is slick, palming and, and things like that. And, sure. um, you know, th there are skills to that, but those skills mean nothing if the skill isn't done in a perceptual gap or based on the way observers see things and process information. And knowing how that happens and knowing how that works, I can make your techniques, even if your skills are just, they're not where you want them to be because they're not, quote, unquote, perfect, you can, <laughs> it, it's, it's an even better idea that you can hide the technique in the moment that you're doing it. Because if it doesn't work quite powerfully enough, he hasn't learned anything to be able to beat it the next time. Right? I mean, that's just, wouldn't it be cool? To yeah, would be. be able to, in the moment you're delivering that strike, he feels it, but he never saw it happening, and he has no idea how you did it. That's cool. To yeah. me, that's the power of this art. That's that's the power. Because okay? mm -hmm. anybody can wind up and slug hard, but can you do things in a way that not only do you not see it, but anybody watching? can't understand how he didn't see it. Right? Yeah. And here here's here's the here's the cool thing. Hatsumi Sensei and the master teachers are so good at this stuff that you miss ninety percent of what they're doing because what they're doing and when they're doing it, you can't see it. So when you're watching a technique being demonstrated, you're not seeing what you think you're seeing. Just start with that assumption. It's not what you think it is, which is why the technique doesn't work when you try it. So you need to have a plan. You need to understand how the process works to be able to get the process to work for you. If you just do what you think it looks like, you're in the same ballpark as what we where we want the opponent to be. So now you have the blind trying to affect the blind and well, you know how that works. Watch out for traffic. <laughs> yeah. Cool, that, I feel like class right. a lot. I feel like that in class a lot. You <laughs> feel like that in class a lot. Who's on? Oh, <laughs> Bob Murphy's back on. He was in the morning long distance call, or the, the uh, uh, platinum call. So, yeah, cool. So you feel like that a lot? Me too. When I go to Japan, one of the first <laughs> things I tell students is, don't ask me a damn thing, right? If I, if I see you making a mistake that I think I get, I, I might lean over and say something to you. Otherwise, if I'm not talking to you, I'm still trying to figure things out for myself, so don't ask. And if you want to see me flounder like you do in class, go to Japan with me. And that's the way it works. If you're not training with teachers that are as far, a, a far, as far ahead of you as you are ahead of your students, then you're with the wrong teacher. Your teacher should always confound you. Always. If you're that close to your teacher, or if you believe you're that close to your teacher's ability, either you are supremely egotistical and you're not as good as you think you are, or you're with the wrong teacher. 
well, either way, you're with the wrong teacher because one's not challenging you um, and le and they're letting you get away with your delusion, um, or you're with a teacher that sucks and you should be somewhere else. So there's that. So no worries, Bob. The way you feel in class, I feel exactly the same way when I'm in Ishizuka Sensei's dojo or training with Hatsumi Sensei or whatever. So it's just just rest in the comfort. Well, maybe it's not comfortable, but rest in the knowledge that that's the way it's supposed to be. I was gonna say there, there was a, there was a few times that you're showing us a new new move, and I thought you were gonna do A, and then you threw out like X, Y, and Z, and I just the face like, ooh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why would I throw something that you you're you're looking for? <laughs> I know, but you still think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it works. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. our minds just want to, yeah. we want to rush ahead to filling in the blank. Yeah, oh, that's one of the such a tendency to the, do that. It's one of the advantages and disadvantages of, uh, disadvantages of having a human mind. The human mind can store a lot of information, and it doesn't work in ten second bursts. It doesn't, you know, lose memory things all that quickly. It takes decades, right? So what ends up happening is we pick up, a, up on a couple of cues that point in a direction and because our brains can think as fast as they do, we fill in the gap, right? And we jump ahead. And it, the, that's not a problem with conventional redundant things that occur every day. What that does is it, it allows us to not have to burn as many calories working out a problem that is the same thing we dealt with yesterday and the day before and all that. We can we can jump to it, right? The problem is that 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 same process tries to work through the unknown, and it creates a huge perceptual gap because while we're busy chasing the assumption and operating based on the assumption, reality is still happening. Okay, and that's like part and parcel with the first stage in the uh, 13 Buddhism Bodhisattvas uh, uh, lesson, the Sanju Shichi Dobon, uh, no, not Sanju Shichi, the uh, Jusan Butsu, uh, that study where the world smacks you. Well, the world's smacking you because you're running on autopilot and you weren't paying attention to what was really going on. Okay, so we can't let that process, well, we can't let it <laughs> affect us, but the problem is that things happen so fast in a fight that that is your autopilot. That is the way we are hardwired to handle things. So by knowing that that's going on, you know that you have a very small window to operate in, and you have to, you have to operate in a way that lets them – and this is the thing in magic, right? The spectator's mind creates the magic. The magician facilitates the, the process. If you can think of, of the, from that perspective, everything changes, right? The magician is not tricking you. You are tricking you. The magician is doing things in a way that allows you to trick yourself. The hand is not quicker than the eye. That's a bullshit thing that was made up by magicians to 
to get you to look at the at solving the riddle the wrong way. The hand is not quicker than anything. Okay? Your mind looking at the wrong thing is what tricks your eyes. Okay? The fact that you're looking at his hands means that he, you should be looking at something different. As soon as he says the hands are quicker than the eyes, and he shows you open hands and shows you nothing up his sleeve and all that, the trick has already been done. Or the trick is going to happen somewhere else. 90% of a magic trick is in getting you to look in the wrong direction. And it's the same thing with our tidy tool. If you are doing things in a way that gets him to look at your fanciness, you're getting your ass kicked. Unless you are just that good of a fighter and he's not. Okay? So half the, half the battle in Ninja 2 is learning what to look at and understanding what's happening even when you can't see it to be able to learn the lesson. Then the other half is in mastering that so that you can do it to somebody else who wants to kill you. How about that? Okay. Now you're speechless. Um, Eric, we're already well into this. We need to wrap this up. Yeah. I know you have to, I've, got to, and I have I've got to jump it. You do. So, uh, guys, we're going to wrap this up. If you have any other questions or comments or whatever, either post it on uh, the uh, Tune In podcast page or uh, shoot us an email at warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. And that being said, Radio God, wrap <laughs> us up. Okay, yes, uh, just, you know, what he said. And uh, stay <laughs> safe, have a great week, and we're, we're out of here like magic. Poof. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Kudan, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.